This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show. Thanks for joining me. Today, my special guest is Sean Dowling. Sean is an English teacher who's been based in Brazil now for 30 years. And the topic of today's show, English for Corruption. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham Stanley, speaking to you live from Mexico City. As I mentioned in the introduction, on today's show, I'll be talking to Sean Dowling about English for Corruption. Sean is an English teacher with three decades of experience in Brasilia, Brazil, holding a Delta and a Master's in TEFL from Birmingham University in the UK. He specializes in teaching English for specific purposes or ESP, to government institutions involved in diplomacy, law, economics, and international cooperation. His unique expertise has led him to train powerful lawmakers and the students have actively contributed to investigating some of the world's largest corruption cases. During his time, he has worked for different EFL schools in Brazil as a trainer and mentor, but today runs his own, his own private company, which is invited to work with different authorities throughout the country. Join us after the Teachers Talk Radio News as Sean shares insights on English for Corruption and his remarkable journey in bridging language education with the fight against corruption. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. <laughs> Big conversations, budding aspirations. Our goal? To make EdTech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January 2024 as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
The Guardian features comment on a parliamentary report which is calling for an overhaul of secondary education in England. The House of Lords report says the education system for 11 to 16 year olds is too focused on academic learning and written exams. The report also calls for the English Baccalaureate or EBAC introduced by Michael Gove during his tenure as Education Secretary to be scrapped as a school performance measure. The government ambition for 90% of Year 10 pupils to be entered for EBAC subjects by 2025 is criticised for being too limiting and not allowing pupils to study a range of subjects. Criticism is also levelled at the overburdened curriculum as a result of content and the 25 to 30 hours of examinations at the end of Year 11. The report echoes some concerns expressed by some teachers and school leaders. Recommendations include allowing schools to offer a more varied range of learning experiences, more opportunities to study creative, vocational and technical subjects, and that pupils should have the option to take functional literacy and numeracy qualifications that are equal in value to GCSEs in English and Maths. Former Education Minister under the Conservatives, Joe Johnson, says the evidence received was compelling and that change was urgently needed. Former Education Secretary Kenneth Baker said dropping the EBAC would give schools greater freedom. Unions welcomed the calls but said school funding, recruitment and retention and cutting workload were essential to making any changes a possibility. A Department for Education spokesperson said, We are constantly seeing the success of our reforms, citing recently released PISA rankings and being named best in the West for primary reading out of a comparable 43 countries. The Observer focuses on Scottish schools' drop in the PISA ratings and featured an opinion piece by Sonia Soda. The piece lays blame squarely on the curriculum reform which began under the SNP in 2010. It changed the focus from knowledge emphasising the development of transferable skills. The approach is linked to the idea of preparing children with skills they need for jobs that don't exist yet but the article says this is a theory based on zero evidence. The article goes on to make links to other countries which made similar changes and saw similar declines, including Sweden and France. It also focuses on the impact such a curriculum has on disadvantaged pupils, increasing, it says, the gap between the non-disadvantaged peers. As the House of Lords report levels criticism at a so-called traditional system in England, it seems that Scotland's more progressive approach is being seen in a similarly negative light. The BBC World Service features a piece on universities in Hong Kong. Once attracting talent from around the world, now academics fear Beijing is restricting academic freedom. In 2021-22, to 22, more than 360 scholars left eight public universities. The turnover rate, 7.4%, is at its highest since 1997, when Hong Kong returned to Chinese rule. Foreign student enrolments have dropped by 13% since 2019. Security guards are now a common sight in universities, ensuring that students and visitors must identify themselves. At the Chinese University of Hong Kong, the democracy wall has been stripped bare and a statue of the goddess of democracy is gone. The 2020 national security law targets subversive behaviour and has seen libraries emptied of books of bad ideologies and a ban on protests. 
job applications for professors have dried up and fewer students are enrolling for PhDs in humanities and social sciences. Some academics say that even being an expert on China is a risk these days. Further details on this story can be found on the BBC News website. Pupils in Liverpool got a Shakespeare masterclass from Rafe Fiennes, which they described as weird but outstanding. The Harry Potter actor is starring in Macbeth at Liverpool's The Depot, but was supporting the Friends with Shakespeare event in a local school. The workshop included warm-up games, group work and language analysis. The star also focused on the theme of ambition in Macbeth and linked it to future plans and careers for students. Finally, GCHQ has released its annual brain teaser for UK school children. Its code-breaking challenge is aimed at 11 to 18 year olds. More than 1,000 secondary schools signed up for this year's event, according to the BBC Breakfast programme. It is the third edition of the challenge and it is designed to test code-breaking, maths and analysis skills with each test designed to be harder than the last. There are seven tasks in total and children are encouraged to tackle them in teams as solving puzzles needs a mix of minds. The full challenge can be found on the GCHQ website, just in case you want to test your own skills. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And welcome back everyone and a welcome in particular to my special guest, Sean Dowling. Hi, thank you for joining me, Sean. How are you? I'm fine. You can, can you hear me okay? Loud and clear, loud and clear. So it's I think you're working today, Sean, is that right? Yeah, well, I'm in the office. It's, it's always better to um, stay in the office. It's quieter. No one's working on Saturday and you get things done uh, before the weekend. Uh, but tonight is my teacher's uh, um, sort of dinner. We're going out to celebrate the year. So I have to get some work done. And of course, talk to you. Um, it's better to be in a nice, quiet place. Okay, well, great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And uh, we haven't seen each other since you took me to the football, I think, in Rio. Yeah, I took you to the Malacana Stadium in Rio. We were there. I don't know what was the conference. Was the conference was? It was Brastisol, I think. It was it Brastisol, yeah. I don't know if it was Cultur Inglés or Brastisol because uh, Rio. Yeah. A, we went. Did you go for dinner? I'm going to say I'll drop a name now. Oh with, yes. Uh, David Crystal was that? Yes. Then we went, yeah, that was right. it. That was it. And then we went for the football. Exactly. Yeah, it was, uh, quite an experience. So still, uh, yeah, it's it, 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 it's fantastic. Um, we had a good time. It was a nice event as well, and it was good to meet you too. But nice to talk to you as well. Definitely, likewise. So I usually, Sean, start uh, by asking my guests to talk about how they became involved in education, how they become teachers, and I'd love to hear what what it was that attracted you to education. How well, you became a teacher and how you ended up, ended up in Brazil as well. Yeah, well, I came into sort of education basically because I moved to Brazil. That was why. Mm -hmm. And be, I'd say being an immigrant, you have to work hard and find ways of working. So, of course, usually teaching English is um, something that seems to come easily at first. People want, you know, a native speaker here in Brazil. 
And I went to a very serious school um, when I started and um, was a substitute teacher for about a year. Mm -hmm. And here in Brasilia, um, a school that's um, closed since, was bought by Cultura Inglesa, where I went to live. So I, I moved really. I had a very young daughter. She was three months old. So mm -hmm. I had to set up a new life. But I was originally in construction. I worked right. for um, a very large company, Balfour Beatty, when I left. So I was dealing with large um, construction and contracts, you know, for um, each one lasting two or three years. But mm -hmm. then I did a short course in Bristol. There's a lovely um, school in Bristol. It gave me a, um, a short month course. I didn't really know much about grammar and things like that. So um, it was good to go on that. They said I was a terrible teacher. And then I moved and found my feet in Brazil. I love Brazil. It's a fantastic place with fantastic people. And that really motivated me to sit, to, um, to do what I'm doing now because um, I found what I, I was good at teaching um, English, of course. I took it seriously, did my Delta um, International House. And it was very difficult. And um, it was a time when you had to, you know, spend two months away. I had two young kids um, um, in London. And then, of course, I was in a brass teasel um, event, and there was a professor from Birmingham. Then we were having a drink one evening, and I was saying, oh, I love um, teaching collocations, and it's very important to me, and I do this and I do that. And he said, well, you've already got your thesis. And um, uh, so why don't you join us? And I thought, well, I've never really, I, I never went to university. Mm -hmm. I went straight into construction from leaving school and, you know, had a, I'd had a family. But of course, things change. You reinvent yourself when you go to a different country, as probably mm -hmm. many people will know. Um, and uh, you have to do something um, different. I couldn't go back into construction. And I was really enjoying myself. Um, teaching Brazilians, um, learning as well, was a new thing, really. Learning was something um, which was um, something fantastic, you know, um, completely starting again and reinventing yourself. Um, and, um, of course, providing for my family too. So uh, all of those um, uh, things uh, moved me into education. And, of course, we met at Brass Tissot. Mm -hmm. uh, so during my time, I was um, the local president of our Brass Tissot chapter, and that opened up a new understanding of dealing with different authorities, mm. dealing with different teachers. And, um, and then... Um, and then as being present, you were bringing on young teachers. You know, I, I had mm -hmm. lots of experience. We had to promote, in a way, these young teachers. And that was a joy. And uh, with, every year we would um, have two reasonably large, they grew large events with me. I was quite good at it, I'm going to say for myself. And then we had a massive um, national brass T-Sol event. Um, here in Brasilia, the first time there'd been one in Brasilia, that really called for a lot of learning about how to do uh, to get such a large event, bring people from around the world, from the United States, from England, for example, from Spain as well, 
um, to come and speak to Brazilian teachers, um, deal with publishers, of course. Um, and as I was a teacher, really, and a teacher trainer, was never a sort of director of studies. Um, I was a mentor for many, many teachers. That's my job also at Cultura Inglesa. So it's a development. Um, I wasn't from an academic background, and I think mm -hmm. that helps in a way with what we learn, what we're going to talk about today in a way with regard to English for Corruption, because you have to delve into new, delve into, isn't that a word you find a lot on chat? Well, delve into, it's gone into my language now, delve into new areas. And of course, being a new country, I was asked to do a lot of private work. And right. that's where um, really you have to be, more specialized because you have people coming from the government. Brasilia, of course, is like, let's say, the Washington of Brazil. Yeah. Um, have, you, have you always been in Brasilia? Uh, yeah, I've, I've always been in Brasilia. It's a lovely, lovely place to live. Yeah. Um, I live, uh, I built my house here. I still right. kept them building. And my kids, um, of course, went to the uh, schools here. We've got, we're a very Brazilian family, yeah. although my kids are now abroad. I have two children, by the way. They're in um, Germany and England, and uh, my wife's Brazilian. And that's why she's the reason I'm here. So really, I'm in the education. It's her fault. <laughs> Is she from Brasilia? Yeah, she's from Brasilia. Her family from here. And when we had our um, Brazilian women, let's say, are very family orientated, which, uh, which is a thing I like. Um, they're having family very close. And she wanted to come back, stay with her family. Our daughter was three months old. So she wanted to be um, back where something was familiar. We were married five years in England. You know, her English was very good. Right. Um, she went there to study English. So I was yeah. always the teacher, I suppose. And yeah, we came back um, because of family. And and Brasilia, I'd been before, of course, I knew a bit about Brasilia. And everyone said, when you come, You'll be you'll be teaching English, and um, that's what I did. Right. Okay. Yeah, Brasilia. I've I've been to Brasilia, and uh, it's very very different to anywhere else in Brazil that I found. Not that I know lots of places in Brazil, yeah. but it's a very different place, isn't it? Yeah, it's like another planet, really. You know, uh, the weekends um, it could be empty because lots of people go back home to Rio or São Paulo or the north of Brazil. Um, so it's quite quiet, but it's a very, very green because it's designed, it's beautifully designed as, as people will probably find out if they know anything. Um, it's designed like an aeroplane and you live on one of the wings, it's a right. north wing and a south wing. And in the center, in the fuselage, let's say, is where all the gov main government buildings are. That's where I'm stationed in a way, my office, my location is mm -hmm. um, just off well, in that center area, so I can reach the government um, or they can reach me, which sometimes they come to my office. Someone needs a private class, I need to prepare to go um, somewhere and let's say, um, tell the world about what Brazil is doing. Then they come and they probably, um, I'll check their presentation, um, give them difficult questions and um, then send them on their way. And uh, that happens uh, quite a lot. 
But Brazil is a, is a government town, so you have to understand how it works. Um, when it's really working hard, it really works hard during the week. And um, the behavior, of course, is very, very different than in a normal town. But it's a beautiful place. It's very well organized. Um, I love it. Of course, I'm here 30 years. I'm a, I'm a Brasiliense, as they say, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and as it's in the center of the country, then you can get anywhere. So I can go to the north or the south. Last week I was in the south, meeting some um, state prosecutors. We have a course there for them, and um, or you can go to those fantastic beaches. Believe me, people, if you're listening to this, the best beaches in the world are not anywhere else other than Brazil but they're very difficult to get to for some uh, reason. And because they're not developed as much as tourism, it's not as developed, they're fantastically um, unspoiled. Okay, so uh, um, yeah, that's my advertisement for the country. But uh, Brazil is a nice place. It's a difficult place to live if you're used to other places. People from Rio and let's say Sao Paulo, the two biggest cities in Brazil, do have to adapt uh, and they do find it difficult this is why the weekends they like to get on the plane yeah. sometimes and go home right um, did you find it easy to adapt to living in brasilia sure well i yeah i i found it I, i'm a bit of a nomad anyway so i'm in construction so i'm moving site to site and house to house um contract to contract when i was in england and my wife of course was not from there. So I was quite happy to move, but of course, setting down roots here, we've got family. So they're a great help. Um, so that any difficulty was lessened by uh, their help. Um, the weather is very, very dry. It's like sometimes like the desert, Sahara Desert, uh, very, very dry. So the first year, it's difficult. And of course, there are not many foreigners here. There were certainly when I arrived. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, immersed myself in Brazilian culture, which is the greatest thing I, I did. Um, the internet wasn't very big at the time, so we would get the Times newspaper, that small sort of tabloid one every month, I think, um, and would have to take, uh, you know, when I would ring my mother home, we'd have to wait for the telephone company to tell us the line was free. It was very difficult then. So, yeah. Um, I had to adapt, you know, my wife actually found it more difficult to come home and adapt after five years in England than I I did, but I wasn't, um, had no intention of going back, wasn't really going to pine for anything other than football. Um, We've got lots of football here too. Um, They won the World Cup the year after I was here, so I brought Brazil lots of luck too. So. Is nice. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah. So Sean, let's uh, turn now to the main subject of today's show, yeah. which you suggested we could talk about, which is English for corruption, which sounds yeah. fascinating. What is it that got you interested or involved in, in this? Well, it, it I got pulled into it, really, because mm-hmm. as a private teacher, you people ring you up and say, oh, I want to talk about this. I need to improve my English so I can communicate better in English um, with foreign organizations. So as I worked for 10 years um, in the diplomatic school here, it's um, very um, 
quite famous in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a reference um, in the government. You know, they would come and uh, ask if I could give private classes. And some of those people who started to come were economists um, dealing with micro and macroeconomic uh, policy of the government. And then um, federal investigators, okay, prosecutors, judges, um, a whole number of people um, trying to communicate because corruption, of course, of course, it's within um, a country, but the money laundering means that the money usually leaves the country trying to get that back. Mm-hmm. Um, is also, and you have to, so you have to have other authorities around the world, um, and you have to follow international rules, international law. Um, so they need to be able to talk about that and, uh, discuss all of these things, um, and feel confident. That's the thing in Brazil, Brazilian culture. Um, they're not, you know, Brazil is a great place and it has a lot to teach the rest of the world, actually. Um, with their knowledge, especially in the area of corruption. Um, but the confidence of Brazilians sometimes to push themselves and um, explain what they're doing, um, that lack of confidence they have in dealing with authorities in other countries is something that I've, fa- I've found has been very important in my work to make them feel confident in communicating what they want to do. Um, um, and valuing what they do, um, because it's necessary in corruption for them to be able to negotiate to get money from abroad. So that's another area you have to teach as well as in a way, even give presentations or talk to different authorities, um, either on the phone or writing emails and things like that. And in the end that turned into giving me being invited to give courses of English, um, with these authorities. So I've given courses for um, people who were then dealing with some of the largest um, corruption um, cases in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last few years, they've had the uh, the car wash, last, let's say, say 10 years, which was called La Vajato. That started here in Brazilia, um, a small you- garage. Can you talk more about that? Because I'm not familiar with that, actually. Yeah, no. Well, what happened was just actually um, I could walk to the garage um, from my office. Um, There's a garage that was, let's say, laundering money. Right. And it was very strange. And and that start, that was, um, once that was investigated. um, So how did you know? And how, how do you know? Did you know that it was laundering money? How do you, how can you tell? No, no, I didn't. The investigators found this. If, okay. you, if you if you want to read about car wash, it's an extremely famous um, case. Um, right. Okay, they found that, and that was the start of them um, discovering more and more and larger and larger um, corruption schemes, and. Um, and of course, it, uh, um, there'd been one large um, corruption scandal called um, the monthly payment. Basically, it's called mensalão. And if I talk when I talk about if I talk later about language of how it's used culturally um, later, um, then I'll explain why it's called mensalão. 
So the monthly payment, the big monthly payment, um, was a big corruption um, scandal here in Brazil. And that started investigating two other things. And this car wash scandal then became um, another large one. Um, and it looked at, of course, the large oil company in Brazil, Petrobras, and how similar political schemes were being used to, let's say, siphon off money for political gain. Um, there is a lot, there's a lot, it's a long, long story. There's a lot of things happening. Um, people can read a lot about it. But those in, those investigators, for example, needed to go to Switzerland or to other mm -hmm. countries um, to try and get the money back or talk to those right. authorities. Or we had new ideas coming up, you know, the confiscating of um, people's assets. That's a whole area of language that, and also with law as well, different laws that they have to be um, they're more familiar with. So, you know, I wasn't just teaching English. We were talking about law. I am well known for doing legal English as well mm -hmm. here in Brasilia. And that's when I was invited to teach people. So private students first came to make it. Private students came, they involved, you know, um, federal, um, let's say, police commissioners, economists dealing with, um, and lawyers dealing with, um, Let's say, um, what's the word? Uh, um, well, corruption of um, bidding and procurement. Mm -hmm. And they need, needed to communicate that. And they had international clients too. So it, it came to me. And then suddenly the, the um, people hear about me and then government organizations uh, come and say, look, we need one of them, the first one was the, uh, what we call the Procuradoria Geral de Republico, which is the, the big uh, prosecution authority. Now I'd worked, they'd seen that I'd done a, um, a short course for the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So they invited me, said, okay, we're in international cooperation and we need to tell our people, our civil servants in Brazil, a little bit about our areas of, um, of law that deals with English, child abduction, for example. Um, what was the other, the other one? Child abduction, extradition, and corruption. Mm -hmm. So can you make an English course with that? And we'll put it online for all of um, our people around Brazil. Um, for us, please. They, they knew who I was. We need something special. So, so I did that. And that went to the union. So it went. To, so what we say the union is the, for the federal and the state and the local municipalities. It goes all over Brazil. So uh, that was an online course I did for them. And then federal prosecutors um, and um, some of them were doing that course. Said, "Well, can you give us just specific courses?" Now these are the federal prosecutors. They're also some. Most of them were involved in this car wash operation. Now, mm -hmm. in um, the car wash, it was focused mainly in, in, in the south of Brazil, in Curitiba. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the main focus was. And they were, of course, focusing on um, the, the state oil company, Petrobras. Now, if you go and find out about corruption in the world, you see the oil, of course, um, companies uh, are famous for lots of corruption. So 
you know, I don't think Lavage um, actually found anything that they weren't expecting. <laughs> if you right. look at, um, there's some very good podcasts on corruption. But they came and they were, of course, weren't just in Curitiba. I, I had to do an immersion, I think, for some of them as well. I had to do an immersion of one week, just me, um, English for corruption and these other areas as well. And then they asked me to do a special course. So there was these federal um, prosecutors, they're called procuradores um, here. They have a special role. And um, they um, what needed that confidence in English, okay? Um, they need that confidence, confidence in English. I'll, I can talk about Tarsisha's, um, I think someone's sending a message as well. I can talk about lots of good things about the government as well, but this is a specific area that I work with. So these procuradores um, were all over the country um, looking at uh, corruption. And of course, trying to find out and talk to people and, and feel confident using English and communicate well mm -hmm. is also what they needed. It was in a way a new skill for them. They didn't expect to be looking, I expect, outside of the country and talking to authorities outside of the country. So these investigators, let's say, these um, prosecutors, um, invited me and I gave them, I think it was three or four courses specifically for that. And then that moved on to the, uh, um, doing the federal auditors. Mm -hmm. So then we had the auditors and then we had the controller general as well. Um, they were all in the, because, it, because corruption was so, um, was so, such a focus, um, well, has been a focus over the last 10 years. The um, international, you know, um, and these are international companies or internet or international dealings of money, and you you needed English. So there weren't many teachers. Let's face it, in, um, in well, Brazil, specialized in in this. <laughs> exactly. So I was the only one. Right. And um, well, could you talk a little bit about that first course that you put together about? English for corruption. How on earth did you kind of approach it? Uh, find out what kind of things they needed. Was it from a uh, legal English point of view? Um, yeah, yeah, it, it was legal English, but English, legal English. Of course, if English teachers are out there, well, they'll know the old Elec books, uh, maybe, um, which are excellent books to start um, if you want to teach um, legal English. I forgot. Um, yeah, by Cambridge yeah um international legal english but it's international legal english it's not really let's say um corruption international english is talking about various other areas but it gives you a good gave me a good model to use right. um to produce my own material okay yeah there was also on uh, the only one piece of information i found out was in a very small book which is um it's also you can it's free to copyright as um from copyright law it's called taboos and issues it's an old book and i know one of the authors Ron martinez so i'll give a shout out for him um and in there there was two pages on corruption so um and dealing with that and that allowed me to start yeah and yeah. then of course I have, I have private students you know i, I i've had 
federal, let's say, FBI agents. That's easier to say that. Um, they're not American, of course, they're Brazilian. Those federal um, investigators who came and were needed to and need to communicate with um, other countries with international investigations and stuff like that. And of course, they started to not give me anything specific about uh, um, their investigation, but you know, I started to understand um, how Brazil was working at a different level. And then I was able to produce scenarios or texts um, f to use in the course, okay? And, um, and that was the start. So it was legal English, of course. You can't um, talk about corruption without legal English. And that first few, two pages um, in um, Taboos and Issues, I would definitely recommend it. It's a bit old now, but um, still it's a good start if you want to specialize in the area. And um, that was it. And of course, the knowledge of those people who I was teaching. Um, so you have to take all that because, for example, you, you'd find you'd be teaching someone privately and then so you would send them a text in their area of corruption. And then you get them to talk about it, to use the vocabulary and to check their grammar. And then to use that as a, let's say, a, um, a springboard for them to talk um, about their own areas as well. So for, with private work, that's where I was able to gain a lot of material as well to use. And that material, of course, I used in my courses. Um, and then so when you're giving the courses to, to the prosecutors, they're going, wow, how did I didn't expect an English teacher to know this, you know, um, and and it's very cultural, but of course it's a, also a very international thing, and that's where English um, was also necessary, let's say. Right, and you talked a little bit about specialities um, and preparing courses for specific specialities. Could you expand a little on that? Well, yeah, it's funny. Um, the government comes and says, we want a course on this. And can you do it? And of course, you're never going to say no, are you? If that, someone's going to come and say, we want to give you a right. course, you're never going to say no. You've got to embrace it. You've got to do a lot of research, a lot of talking to um, um, specialists in that area anyway. I'm very lucky. My, I've been here for 30 years. So my network is full of specialists who I can reach out to. Um, for example, I was um, asked to, can you give something about food security? That's one of the areas. So I was able to talk to someone from the Ministry of Agriculture who was my student and said, oh, can you give me an hour's uh, talk on the main areas? And she's very happy to, uh, um, the person I asked, she was very happy to speak to me for an hour and get a free private class. And then I was able to take the main information and ask the questions to be able to develop a course. Right. And that happens a lot as well. So the first thing is to say, you you know, it, sometimes, you know, I was worried, oh, I'm gonna, the first course I gave was the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And I had a little, here's an example, I had a very, I only had three students for legal English. It's very funny, legal English, and I used the elect book, and it had nothing to do with Brazilian English, Brazilian law. It was like it was it was because um, talking about common law, and here we've got uh, um, constitutional law. 
So um, um, a codified law. So it's quite different. And that difference I understood um, when dealing with this material and having the confusion and having those lawyers um, in my course. And I, of course, I put advertise on my website, have a legal English. And then the SDF, which is the, sorry, the Supreme Court um, said, oh, we want a legal English course. We need um, for our areas. And I thought, wow, I'm going to the Supreme Court. <laughs> You know, uh, and I taught a few people at the Supreme Court, so I wasn't really um, that afraid. I'd been in there and, and taught some ministers as well. But then this is my company being um, invited. Mm -hmm. And so I went there to talk to them. And, and it, how luck, was have, luck would have it. I was there telling them, they were very suspicious. Do you really know what you're doing? Uh, and then someone walked in the room who was an old student of mine and said, Sean, how is Liverpool football doing? And suddenly, and he was very important, they all said, well, this guy must, must be good. And then I just produced a course. They loved it. Of course, I did know what I was doing. And that, when you give a class, um, um, let's say a 120-hour course to uh, the top government, agency of law then the others um hear about it uh, they hear it and um so it's a it's many many different ways um private work finding material um listening to uh different people i'm um, reading of course reading a lot you have to buy books um i get lots of books from amazon and read them and uh and use some of that material and uh and that's why there's no i thought there's one single way of right. doing it um but you no know, teaching material sometimes can help give you a model i think for right. making material um you know i have to write my own material mostly and uh for these courses and i tend to do that i don't really go to courses out to the public i do really just for yeah. the government and Sean, do you tend to focus upon um, a few skills in particular, or is it a really integrated skills course that you do? Is it speaking and listening that they need more than anything else, or do they need to do a lot of reading and writing as well? Yeah, it, well, vocabulary is the main thing that they feel. Right. That, uh, and speaking, of course. Of course, reading, there's usually lots of uh, reading material we can find. Have to shorten those texts, of course, because they're busy people. The, uh, the government they don't have time to read a lot. They usually come to class just to be able to um, deal with English in that time. So it's speaking mainly, of course, because they don't have opportunity to speak. Right. So that they need that regular opportunity um, with English as well, of course, but mainly speaking and improving their vocabulary too. So you have to give them also strategies of learning outside if, they, if they've got time and try and um, give them more autonomous ways of learning and forming habits to learn. Uh, I specialized in that in my masters. So, um, so lots of vocabulary, of course, reading. Because Brazilians, we have to understand that Brazilians are at high level, usually they're high level learners because they have to pass an exam to become a civil servant. 
And the exams are very, very difficult in Brazil. I also prepare people for these exams, but that's another issue. Um, when you exams, you mean an English exam? No, sorry. They, for example, you want to become a civil servant. Yeah. So let's say a diplomat, for example. I teach a lot of practice exam, um, a lot of examination practice for diplomats. So to become a diplomat, you've got to know everything about history, um, Brazilian history, um, international history. You've got to know everything about international law, politics, international politics, um, geography, economics. Um, of course, you've got to have extremely high level of Portuguese and English. So English is one of those areas. And these, what they call concourses, these public exams, I think they've got them in India. I don't know um, many other places, maybe in South, South Africa too, um, are very competitive because it's a very secure job when you work for the Brazilian government. Basically, you can get sacked. You've got a job for life. Mm. So there are many, many different um, subjects. And for example, the one for diplomacy, you really need an extremely high level of English. Um, so you need a very high level um, of teacher who understands um, Brazil, Brazilian foreign policy, and of course, can push people up to write, it's not speaking in these exams, to write to a very high level. So uh, um, they're very, very competitive in Brazil, because Brazil is um, a large state, um, and state governments um, only just, it's in a way to stop corruption. They have um, civil servant exams, so people in a way have given a, an equal chance to pass the exam. Of course, yeah, I'll say that for now, an equal chance to pass the exams. And if they yeah. pass and then the top, um, the top level, then they will be asked to join the government and, and work. So as it's a, um, a job for life, then um, you get paid reasonably well for Brazilian standards and you get a good pension. So that's why people um, do them. So where were we? I forgot where we were now. Um, so talking about yeah. the skills that you generally yeah, concentrate on speaking with. The, yeah, um, so it's mainly speaking because with these exams, they're focusing on writing and reading. So they're reading and writing in a way to a high level. Not all of, for example, with the as I said, these these prosecutors or the federal police um, or the the controller general or auditors, they don't have uh, a need for a high level of English right. in these exams. So if it's a, an exam for a diplomat, really, you need a high level of English. So in a way, when they're learning, their English is forced to become to a very high to get to a very high level. Mm -hmm. But with these other areas of the civil service, not so. So they've got a lower level of English. You've got sort of all got an intermediate level of English. Mm -hmm. They're sort of middle class Brazilians here. So they've studied English when they were young, but forgot it after a period of time. Right. Um, so when they come back to me for um, a course, then they've sort of got an intermediate level. And of course, to be able to talk to foreign authorities, they need to have a lot more confidence um in speaking and writing so it's more focused on that especially speaking um to be able to communicate uh, well so that's the main focus so in a way 
talking to them, asking them difficult questions, having them explain what they do. Because of course, one culture's, um, one country's law or one, one country's culture is quite different to another. So there's a lot of sort of translation of information that they have to do for people to understand where they're coming from and what they need from the other country and to avoid confusion. And as I said, Brazilians always need more boost of confidence, you know, um, to face up to that. So you have to ask them difficult questions and, and um, go deeper that they say, wow, I can talk about that. I can deal with this subject. Um, I do know what I'm talking about. And those simple, um, let's say, eureka moments that happen during the class are the things that give them confidence to be able to and then communicate with other foreign authorities as well. So there's a lot of that. Of course, lots of vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary. And it's not necessarily new vocabulary as well, because there's um, in corruption, there's lots of similar uh, words as well. But um, it's usually getting them to use the words, it's going to sound strange, that they already know, because right. they don't use them. Yeah, so getting to speak about these subjects, getting to use those words and study those words that in a way that they know, that, but in really a higher level. So we're looking at focusing on collocations a lot, um, just simple verbs and nouns or adjective and nouns and getting to see how a language is put together so they can express themselves better. So right. they're the main things, reading, speaking, of course, some writing, lots of vocabulary. Um, and that they are the main things off the top of my head. Okay, I, I see. And um, are you pretty much the only one doing this? Do you think, John, or, or do you come across other people who in Brasilia who are also doing similar kinds of well, to you? I, I think probably I can't. I don't know if there are any. Um, I've never come across any. There are, of course, teachers working. You know that the. the Brazil has its specialist schools, like mm -hmm. the diplomatic school where I worked for 10 years. So we're preparing people to be diplomats. So I was there for 10 years. So there are those there are a few teachers, that, but they're based in those, um, those um, institutes, those uh, government uh, schools. They don't move outside. They don't feel confident uh, to do, and they don't take on private classes. They're quite happy in their little I mean, let's say their school doing their thing. Uh, but no, I get called um, to go to other places and do other things. I've always been, as I said, a private, you know, my first private class was, you know, when I needed money was teaching um, three young children, three young teenagers, okay, in a city outside of Brasilia. I needed the money. So I have to go to places where you'd never go normally and meet people you never meet. And then understand um, what their needs are. So it's the same thing. You know, you people ring said, oh, I need this, I want that. Or they come to me now and they say, well, you're the guy. <laughs> it's nice to say that, it's terrible. I feel, um, I know who you are, I know what you do, and I want to be able to improve my English with you. Right. I think you've got the love to. You so there are many, I know what's been here for 30 years, uh, Graham. So yeah. 
Um, and uh, there are not many foreigners as well. Um, as well, people, of course, as English teachers, we tend to go to a country, teach there, and then leave after, let's say, four or five years. Mm -hmm. I came to settle down with my wife um, to be, you know, um, a resident and live in Brazil. I wasn't going to go back. So, you know, my focus um, was always going to be um, how can I live here um, well? Mm -hmm. um, and then see what happens from there. Um, and uh, so there aren't, no, there aren't any teachers. But what, what we're doing now, as now I have a company, which is the mm -hmm. nice thing. So what, what the, um, the government would originally do, for example, I would, be, um, I would be employed just as a teacher earning per hour. And it was not really a lot uh, working for the government. Um, depend if you've got a, you know, a master's or a doctorate or something like that. That would be the only increment would mean you get more money. But you pay a lot of tax. Mm. So I thought, and I said, oh, I've got to make my own company. Uh, but then to make your own company because of corruption, you can't just have a company and then the government are going to employ you. No, you've got to go into bidding and procurement and, you know, yeah. tendering and things like that. Things that I was familiar in construction um, in the past. So, um, then, so that would be difficult to even to employ me as a company. Right. But as a specialist, that um, as they come to me, you're the only one who can do this. Please give us a course, at, let's say, on corruption. Then they can employ me as a specialist. Um, of course, I'm not very expensive anyway. <laughs> it's not like millions and millions I'm earning. Um, so there is within, there's legal limits that they can employ people as a specialist and they can employ me, employ me as a company. Now I have a company, I can bring in other teachers who I know are fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm going out with them tonight, which is lovely. And, um, and they wouldn't get the access that I would get. Okay. Um, because maybe, maybe Brazilian, um, as well, mm. it, they, they, some Brazilians don't feel that um, other Brazilians have the necessary level of language. Of course, they're non-native speakers. I hate that word, but mm -hmm. there we are. And uh, so they would always, of course, as happens around the world, you, I, I'd, I'd love it to be able to change, but they will always look for um, a native speaker. Mm -hmm. So now I can bring Brazilians in to the company and say, look, this is how we're going to we look at public administration. We're going to look at the economy and here's some um, information, go ahead. And here's a, a group we have, we're dealing with Bucaradores in the state at the south at the moment, which is quite a large um, number of people. And um, these um, are now teaching. They're starting off, of course, with a book as well, a course book. And during that time, I'm saying, okay, now get them to do presentations, get them to write this get them to talk about their work more. So they gradually become more um, specialized in understanding the needs of the student. And then we adjust the course um, for their needs. Usually they go up from um, a lower level to a media level and they come to me at a higher level to do full legal English because they're right. lawyers, uh, state attorneys, for example. So I, I'm now only starting to bring in 
other people, okay? Because now, now the company has, you have to be um, a company for a certain period of time. You have to be a company for at least five years. Um, credible, you have to pay your taxes. You can't do anything wrong because after these corruption uh, scandals, then everything is very difficult with, um, with employing anyone yeah. um, in the government. So you have to follow the law very carefully and um, do the, always the right thing. And then of course it opens. So I, I'm, my company is now a specialist for the government. It's seen as renowned, but it's very small. And uh, now it's growing a little bit more, which is nice. Right, great. And are things getting better in Brazil? Um, you said there've been sort of ten years where there's a real focus on on this corruption, and I presume that things are are getting better, and and the corruption is disappearing. I, I would hope. Is that the case, or is it always a constant struggle? And it's always a constant struggle. I'm glad you said that at the end because I was trying to find the words to uh, say because, of course, it's very politically charged as well. Because as you're a foreigner here, you know, people don't really want you to say bad things about Brazil. No. And, um, and of course, I work with the government, you know, they're just down yeah. the road with me, and the government changes, and you have to understand that. And oof, it can get difficult. I don't. Um, getting involved. I do, I have taught some of the top polit politicians in the country, of course I have, but I tend to, they tend to have a state, um, let's say, position. So they're representing the state. Yeah. So uh, it's not like I'm going there because they're a politician, but I have done um, classes with one person who was trying to become president of the country. I knew he wouldn't win. Right. So, so it's difficult to say it, it's corruption. There have been the, because it's gone up and down. I, yeah. I, I privately, I would say one thing publicly, uh, I, I couldn't say, but have I told people involved in corruption? Yes, I have. And working very hard. Have they suffered? They've suffered a lot. Are they a problem? I don't know as well, but Certain things um, are beyond me. They're all—it's politics, and we live in a town where politics works. So uh, there—it's—it's it's shifted. Certainly, I can say the uh, um, the focus on politics. But you know, I've been involved in so many different areas. Um, this you know, this current government is different, very different. The last one, this is left wing. The other's right wing. Um, uh, I try not to give allegiance to one or the other. I there to I'm there to provide a service, mm -hmm. but you know there are some things I do appreciate what they're doing very much. So when they come to me, I'm so happy to help. And um, yeah, I think it's a difficult question to ask. If, if I think corruption exists all over the world, it's yeah. a constant battle, as as we've said, and understanding that it's linked, you know. And with you know markets opening, tr um, trading between different countries as well, it it's bigger, and people are getting poorer, others are getting richer, and that's n and that's not just because um, of talent and other things. It's because of the movement of money around the world, and that the paying of um, the non-payment of taxes or the avoidance of taxes and um those things are corruption it's difficult to even say what corruption is because it's a behavior 
Right. Yeah, it's how you it's how you behave. Um, you know, we call um, corruption illicit behavior mm-hmm. as well. So um, sometimes your your behavior, you know, you don't even know you're involved in corruption. Uh, um, you you know, you could be a civil servant working hard, passing one piece of paper to the next. You've checked everything, and you don't even know you're part of a corruption scheme. Yeah. Right. Or um, so. Um, knowing whether it's improved or, <laughs> or got worse or it's better, it's a very difficult thing to measure. Um, um, you know, it doesn't, for example, we have a word transparency. We think that the world yeah. would be less uh, corrupt if it's more transparent. Transparency is no guarantee for, um, for corruption. Um, as I said, people can be working, thinking they're doing everything right, and they can be involved in corruption, and they wouldn't even know it, right? Because it can be a wider, bigger um, scheme. Well, or some people might even know um, they're, they're doing the corruption, and those people around them not, and they're telling yeah. them what to do. Well, to go back to what you were talking about before with money laundering, you could be working for a company, or you could be buying from a company, um, that is involved in money laundering, and you maybe not be aware of it. Exactly. Well, you've got to know. There's one of the terms, you know, know your customer mm-hmm. um, or beneficial owner. That's the term in corruption, um, an international term. You have to know who you're getting your money, who's paying you, basically. Yeah, and uh, if you don't then that's why we in europe they're focusing more on oligarchs than necessarily um than here in brazil how many moves between one company and another it's put in banks and the bank doesn't know who it comes from switzerland has been going through this um so you have to know who's paying you where it's come from and um that's why people work you know brazil is 50 percent formal money let's say and formal work and 50 percent informal work so that informal work is done with cash and many countries are like that um developing countries work a lot in cash just probably you know i maybe it's the same in mexico i'm not too sure yeah Um, there's a lot of um cash informal work in mexico yeah Uh, and i had a lovely a great friend um we're having a barbecue and I would I joke with him, so how can I avoid paying tax? And he's a head tax authority. He said, come on, tell me, how can I avoid paying tax? I said, no, we'll find you, Sean. We'll get you. But if you're dealing cash, then it's it's um, it's very difficult. As soon as you put it in the bank, as soon as you register it some way, we yeah. can find out. So um in a country that works a lot with cash um of course um that's where a lot of corruption can go on people want to pay their taxes but it's not just at a, um, a high level it's all the way down to uh let's say um the average citizen um, has to work in cash and for let's say where we came from in england or say in the united states you're not paying tax because you're working in cash you'll be caught by the authorities and put in prison. Right. Um, here, the tax also system is very, very difficult to understand. They're going to uh, change the tax system, thank goodness, hopefully this year. It's been going on for many years. 
But um, to try anyway get people to be able to have more confidence in paying tax and, and paying, you know, registering their money as well. Uh, because of course, a lot of money is being lost and you can say that's a crap way, but that's how people live as well. Um, because to earn money, they're heavily taxed. So they all prefer to work in certainly in small amounts in, um, in cash, of course, very large amounts of cash, um, are clearly from corruption scheme. Um, but they can be filtered down um a specific language for that um integrated into the system okay um in many different ways by basically buying assets and paying in cash cars or um, or even apartments okay there's, there's uh, it, it, every time i mention a word it moves on to another possible discussion on different corruption schemes yeah and i can go on about that but we'd be going on forever but yeah. the um the main one going back to the car wash scheme was one where um companies were um bidding over the amount for um contracts yeah and also paying let's say backhanders to um, those people working um, there yeah. and helping, of course, political parties as well. Um, right. It's all documented. I don't think it's any uh, problem talking about that. But uh, mm -hmm. but there are other ways um, as well to siphon off money. Um, one one also, I had lunch with one prosecutor, very very good prosecutor once. We were talking about this, and he he said, "Yeah, it's terrible." And in a way, sometimes it, you have to look at it to those people who are stealing the money for themselves and those ones that are taking the money for their political party so they can ma maintain their party in a way where they can maintain in power or um, you know, keep yeah. their parties going so they're part of the political system because it's very competitive, of course. And of course, those ones who steal the money, we're going to get the political ones who are siphoning up money, they call it cash adoys here, which is like a, um, a pot of money where they, um, people put money in and they distribute to who needs it to fight, let's say, elections and things like that. So that's another um, scheme. And you've got to understand that culture when you're teaching, going back yeah. to teaching corruption. Um, you have to understand that they are, there are, each country has a di sometimes different scheme and different names. I talked about the monthly payment, mensalão. So, mm. um, in Portuguese means big, it's a big monthly payment. The government was paying to politicians for votes in the Congress here, which we see in many places around the world. Um, this same scheme, um, right. So um, they use own to make it big, but for example, a small corruption. Okay, mm -hmm. for example, you give someone a tip. Let's yeah. say it's a tip. You, we, we used to think when we were young, we would give a tip to our to the guy who was cutting our hair. They don't do this in um, in Brazil. They don't give tips to people who make. They give tips in other ways. Yeah, and and it's and it's called a little coffee. It's so nice because Brazil is a the country of coffee. Mm -hmm. So they would give a little coffee 
instead. It's not a little coffee. No, it's not weird. It's an informal way of giving money. Oh, you give me a little help. You um, grease my palm, of course, yeah. is a common. So give me a little coffee. So you have to understand that when we're translating these terms because it's very cultural. It's quite informal. And, um, and, and that translation is very important for, um, let's say, government authorities to understand, is this scheme the same in another country as it is here? So it requires a lot of reading also of what's happening, let's say, in other countries that are um, considered more corrupt than others, because it's easier to read those information. So we're looking at, you know, countries in Africa or, or let's say, former um, Soviet Union, those um, places are seen as being more corrupt. I think everyone's corrupt. Myself, sometimes you get so brainwashed with corruption, you see things day to day and say, well, that's corrupt. You know, right. um, you know, you, you end up, I, I was listening to The Guardian. I don't know if you were listening to The Guardian at the start talking about in England, the changes to the educational system and something else. And I was thinking, well, where's the corruption scheme in there? Where's the money coming? Why are they making that change? Who is gaining from that change? Um, you know, who is losing? So that? I guess you, you have that mindset where you're so sort of involved in it and you've you become an expert now that like you're looking for evidence of, of that everywhere. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you do, I, I, because, you know, there are bigger questions than we can talk about. There are bigger questions um, of corruption because it goes to democracy and things like that and, um, with, you know, politics and things. Uh, and it, it goes to a larger thing. But, of course, there has to be a conversation of corruption. You, uh, and it's authorities talking one to another. And English, of course, is what moves money. Know, banks are in English. Um, tax havens, of course, um, are in English. Most of them are English and Dutch, you know, um, as well, I think. Um, but everything's in English. So the whole system is in English. To say English is a world language, it is a world language. Um, and corruption is part of that, too. So you could say English is the language of corruption? Well, oh. yes. Yes, it is. It's a it's the language of the world. So corruption is part of the world. So yeah, that have you have to be. You know, it, you know, if one corrupt organization is going to talk to another corrupt organization, another uh, going to be uh, in English. But they're going to be doing it in English. You know, so uh, um, you they can't. They so of course you're not teaching them to be corrupt. <laughs> I'm not going to teach um, people how to be corrupt, but you have to understand that, yeah, if organizations, if author, international authorities, international co uh, cooperation is necessary, it's going to be done in English. So, you know, I've been involved a lot with diplomats and, of course, um, and, uh, and different international organizations in Brazil, government-based, and they have to communicate in English. This year we were, um, I was working with uh, the um, Supreme Audit um, authorities in Brazil who were um, applying to become auditors of the United Nations. 
Right. And uh, which was very interesting. So they had a, their crack team to talk to the other countries who are already auditors of the United Nations to find out what they actually do. So they invited me to talk to them for us to formal, formalize questions for them to feel confident in going to those countries and investigating how they, you know, how many people they're going to need, what they're going to do, how they've got to apply. And um, so, you know, everything is English. They went to Chile, they went to France, and they were, they had to speak in English. And uh, so they, I, I think they're successful now in becoming auditors, which is lovely. Great. Yeah. Do you ever get invited to accompany people on trips abroad? No, no. Some of my old teachers have uh, Brazilian teachers, but they work within the government. Only one or two. Right. Why? Because um, one was um, involved in a corruption case. Mm -hmm. and a teacher of mine at Cultura Inglesa, and he studied law, so he was um, in the government department, and they asked him to go and, um, in a way, I don't know if it was interrogate, but certainly question um one of their um cooperators that was in england so there we are you're an english teacher and then you'd be saying come on we're going to do um we're in a big corruption um investigation case a big task force and you're the english teacher um so you speak english better than us we want you to come and uh, do that and the teacher oh my goodness you know, because, you know, they were afraid to use their English. They needed someone who had better English than, than them. That he's no expert in law or um, or corruption. But suddenly he's uh, asked to go because they couldn't find anyone else. We see the lack of English um, focus um, in the country that they have to find someone and do it but not me no of course um i'm not brazilian i don't have a brazilian passport someone this year asked me to go somewhere um somewhere next year and a politician and i said no i wouldn't go because i know if someone um it would get to the newspapers that an english teacher is gone out to a big event um and he might want me to help him with his english but um, all of those prosecutors who I teach would say, mm, Sean, why are you being corrupt? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> they would, they'd ring me up. And they, so no, I, I don't do that. Um, I do, of course, have a, um, networking is very important, of course, because it, it's a matter of trust um, and being honest um, with the government um to be able to do that they have to trust um you as well so um a lot of private students or even students i taught at Cultura Inglesa when they were 13 or 14 years old are now after 30 years in the government mm -hmm. so they know their old funny teacher from that time they remember the socks i wore and the and the football shirt i used to wear when i used to go into class and of course, now they're inviting me to go and talk to their bosses and uh, deal with them. So, so I don't really get invited. No, I don't get invited. Um, and also, since COVID, I'm sitting on my I'm in my office now. I sit in my desk uh, most of the time and and deal with people online. Right. Of course, that makes sense. So yeah. you 
you saw a big change to teaching online um, after COVID. Were, were you teaching online before COVID, or has it been subsequent to COVID that uh, that you're teaching those online classes? Yeah, I was teaching online because Brazil is a big place, of course. Mm -hmm. And with, I was talking about those government exams. So people are hoping to pass these government exams. They're based all over Brazil and they don't. And it used to be that before really the internet come up, came up um, or developed, let's say, they um, had to leave their states, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away and move, which is costly, to the main capitals like Brasilia to study. Of course, when the internet came up and we're able to do courses online, then companies started to do that. One company I worked for, Clipping, which is an excellent company, I'll put another shout out for Clipping, um, invited me um, to work with them. And then I got, um, then I'm teaching hundreds of people online throughout the country, the class are recorded um, or live and um, producing material. And I learned from that, but I'd already had, my own company had my own short, small courses. And, and really uh, when it came to these exams, then I would earn maybe uh, money uh, with that. And I had co um, smaller courses um, that people would, so I kept my business ticking over. So I was very familiar with working online, but who really wasn't familiar with, um, with online courses was really Brazil. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. these government organizations have thousands of people and they usually have enough money to invite the teachers. I used to do uh, presential classes, face-to-face -face classes. And as I'm in Brasilia, it's easier that they would, uh, it's cheaper for them <laughs> to employ me than bring someone from other places. And, but then of course, after lockdown, um, there were all of the rest of the states said, well, we still need to keep our people happy at home and keep them trained. Mm -hmm. uh, English, all English teachers can do it. Now let's look for, ah, now we can get Sean. Sean that we know, um, I met him or we, we've seen him before. Sean, how do you fancy doing a course for us um, here or there? about this and so then everyone moved online and that's how it is now uh, brazil's a massive company uh, country so as i said the furthest you were in uruguay so the nearest state to uruguay is here on so um although i'm based in brasilia i have courses with the government there they invited me and that's been a big development in my company um i was there last week but i don't need to go down and visit them so then other organizations like, say, the, um, the Supreme Court um, was before um, the COVID, but after that, with the prosecutors and corruption um, as well, um, it became easier for them um, to accept that online courses were just as good and they could get the information. So in a way, COVID did me a favor because then people in other states are saying, oh, I, I need a teacher for this, this, who do I find? They find me online. They can't find a teacher of my type in the, where they live. And then they request courses or request private classes as well. And uh, they don't have a barrier with regard, with regard mm -hmm. to this type of classes now. Right, of course. So apart from um, the move to teaching online, Sean, 
What other changes have you seen in recent years with the way that you work or uh, the way that you teach or how students want to, to learn, etc.? Have you seen that change much? No, I went to IETEFL um, this year in Harrogate mm -hmm. and didn't see anything there. Actually, I was quite disappointed. I was hoping to see some things new, especially in the area of vocabulary, which I enjoy. I didn't see anything at all. Maybe in Brighton um, next year might be better. But in Brazil, of course, Brazil is a very large market. Yeah. And, um, and we've seen it become full of... Um, well, oh, of course, as happened, the gig economy, we're in the gig economy, lots of teachers have, are older, myself, it happened to as well. I'm not teaching anymore. Those ones with great experience who know what they're doing. The older ones are less than um, young teachers who with less experience or no real ex experience who are fixed into a method the school tells them how to teach and can't move away, a sort of straitjacket that's got more um franchising has been bigger as well in brazil as larger schools have been able to change their name and um and do have smaller um schools in different regions um that's when the market but i don't see a big improvement in english certainly mm -hmm. uh, not i remember who was um the gentleman who wrote English Next. Um, yeah, so he came to Brasilia quite a few times. Um, and we, we talked, we had um, beer quite a few times. Lovely, lovely guys. Shame he's not around anymore. Mm -hmm. And the government was saying, oh, yeah, we do English here, we do English there and English there. And even the British Council believed that English was getting um, better here. And I didn't, I couldn't understand it. Um, and he came, and of course, he was investigating where English was, and he couldn't see it himself. But, um, but we have a funny saying in Brazil, it's for the English to see. Okay, so mm -hmm. it's a very cultural thing where the government says it's like this, and they paint a picture, and they show certain things and you think, oh, it must be like that. They're just a facade. So mm -hmm. it's, a way, it's another form of corruption as well for the English to see, which is it goes back historically with the Portuguese coming um, under the protection of the British Navy fleet. <laughs> goes back very historically. So I have this saying in the culture. So they would bring these authorities and say, look, it, we do loads of English. We did Spanish and everything else. And we do all of these things when actually they don't. There's no investment at all in education, of course is an area which is extremely corrupt as well as um health and but i'm going to talk about corruption and uh, uh no i don't see with regard to english um there is a need of course um but brazil is never as open as it should be with regard to what it's doing and also its trade it's still got a great brazil's got a great capacity for trade um i was in the port of paranagua last week seeing how um soya beans basically are um being shipped off all the way around the world wow it's a fantastic system to see that i'm teaching um the port as well um english so 
they've got a great capacity. The agriculture in Brazil can feed the world. Right. And, and they really are at a very low capacity at the moment. Um, um, there's still a lot to do. They, you know, Brazil could be self, self-sufficient in, you know, um, in alcohol for cars or um, bio, biofuels. It's a political will that they don't wish to do. Um, the government are saying they're going to change it and want to change it, but it's for the English to see sometimes. Okay, mm-hmm. real decisions um, that can make a real change don't always happen because politics um, gets in the middle. So uh, we understand that. So English, no, I don't see it getting any better. But with regard them, Brazil is talking to the world. Um, usually it was only the foreign affairs um, uh, ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, as I'm teaching, let's say, other international corporate um yeah in such cooperation in auditing in um and also the laws change with regard um investigating companies that um if the companies are brazilian companies or foreign companies who've been corrupt abroad that they can be investigated um by brazilian authorities here as well so that um sovereignty issue is change that affects english um international law of course international cooperation um as well is in that area where i said prosecutors um dealing with inter- big international cases as we saw with car wash um so the government needs to communicate more specialist areas than just going to the ministry um, of foreign affairs where i worked for 10 years um and that's why i'm invited to talk um, or give courses to others for them to get the confidence to be able to, when they are communicating with other authorities, more specialist authorities, you know, mergers, acquisitions, authorities, the economic authorities as well. Um, they need an investigation to corruption, of course, that's a, um, another area of theirs. Um, it's also a large international um, question. So and Brazil is, you know, it's not a small company. Uh, sorry, not a small country. Mm-hmm. So it, um, it's involved in the world. Um, so it needs to communicate. And these specialist organizations, different government organizations are starting to do so as it opens. And that's a very positive sign as well for Brazil. Um, yeah. You know, I do love Brazil. I, I, um, sometimes, you know, I'm talking just Brazil, but we see Brazil do have a lot to offer the rest of the world. And this lack of communication in English help, um, holds it back. Yeah. And um, that's why I like um, helping um, them with the class as well. So they can do, they can make that change. They can go abroad. They can even study abroad um, and show that they have something to offer as well. Of course, of course. Well, Sean, I'm going to wind things up now. I want to thank you very much for this uh, conversation. I've learned a lot from uh, from what you from what you've been talking about for the last uh, hour or so. Um, uh, My wife says I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it was really interesting. Both a lot, I've learned a lot about Brazil, but also about the area of of work, English with corruption, which. Uh, is a fascinating subject. I can see why you 
you're interested in specializing in it and it i'm sure it's it sounds like it brings you in contact with a lot of very interesting people as well which must be uh, must be great it is it's it, it's uh well, i have to say it, it um it's a serious subject corruption mm. but it's fun as well <laughs> yeah cool. it's fun seeing how weird uh things are you know that you know we've only we've spoken i don't know an hour i don't know how long it is hour and a half there's so much more um to talk about um but english teachers shouldn't be afraid to specialize and use the information that their students come uh to them especially with private work private work you um, get a lot of information from students who need to communicate um to other people um you know they've got their own knowledge and understanding that knowledge and learning from them and you and finding text for them that they can help you understand because they end up teaching you um, and you become a, a, a specialist in that area. Right? So, you know, not just start staying within the four walls of your of your school, but when those, you know, anyone asks you to give private class, oh, yeah, my, that's not enough money or I have to travel. You have to think about the learning opportunity you're going to get and the connections you're going to make as well yeah. because that will bring on um other work in the future it may not be now but it plants a seed for the future yeah. and uh um and it's and it's a long-term thing education is a long-term thing as well and our own development uh teacher development is a, is a long-term investment we make um we must always be um investing in ourselves as well so sometimes taking on things a little difficult brings um us great uh, rewards in the future, I think. Of course. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Um, enjoy the rest of your Saturday and weekend. It's been great to talk to you and catch up. Yeah, lovely, lovely. It's the first podcast I've ever done, so it's very nice. Well, all the best. And anyone who's got questions, of course, can always contact, I think, us here in the um, podcast. And you let me know and I'll be able to help. Okay? okay. Great. Thanks a lot. All the best. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure 
helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. And thank you very much to today's special guest, Sean Dowling, and all of you who joined us live for today's show. That's all from me. And there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics. So please listen in live or to the recordings. And uh, this will be my last show until after, till next year. So I hope you will um, enjoy uh, your holidays if you get the chance to take some time off and um, I look forward to speaking to you again in 2024. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.